I think that everything is very strange, and when uh, I say this, I don't mean that it's mysterious or mystical or interesting, just very strange. I think that we cannot be all the time uh, perceiving that things are strange, because that would be impossible to stand. But uh, I really enjoy when I get in touch with this strangeness. And I think it is a very elusive thing. When something tries to be strange, it's not, never. And uh, when we think that we are getting in touch with this something strange, I think it goes somewhere else. Um, and I think also that is not so important to find out this strange thing, but what is very fascinating is when something happens that makes us move towards it. Like when you feel that something is happening that is taking you to perceive that strange thing. This is something that I really like to have when, when it happens. And I wish I could provoke myself. Um, I think that this strange thing always is not in the center of anything. It's around. It's, um, it's never about what we are talking about. It's never about what we are looking at. It's never about what we are listening to. It's somewhere around those things. Not wanting to be observed or to take any attention. And then when something happens that makes us aware of that, I think it's incredible. Listening in the liminal is one thing. The other thing is writing in the liminal. A sound played by a musician has always the tendency to come to the center, whether it is loud or soft, or long or short. I go in writing to the liminal. Sometimes I keep it outside, just one little step outside of the field of composing, almost nothing in the fallow land.
I've been learning about echolocation recently, and there are four animals that I have learned about that can echolocate. Dolphins can echolocate. Bats. Oil birds and some humans. Oil birds fly in caves where it's pitch black. Bats hunt at dusk. Dolphins live in the ocean where the light penetration doesn't go very far. So in most places, it's quite dark. And the people who can echolocate are blind. So they all have in common living in light impoverished environments. And this seems to be the condition that gives rise to the ability to echolocate. The way bats use echolocation to catch prey seems really amazing to me because they send out a sound and then it gets bounced off a little insect like a mosquito and then it comes back to the bat. The echo comes back to the bat off the mosquito. and But in that time between sending out the sound and receiving it, the bat has been flying through the air, it's in a slightly different location and so is the mosquito. And somehow the bat can triangulate this information with the sound of the echo that it's receiving. Her head her a boom occurs in the street. It wasn't really the parrot's joke, but it felt like that. It's, the degree of one's loss is also the degree of one's vitality and one's ability to sustain small costs and amounts of loss. Someone else was flailing in the realm of panic and gestures. Very hard to get around correctly. One of the lovers grows speech to lift a bottle off the floor. Women were walking and away from the parrot, kept saying loudly Language is like that. It is this incredible code for immediacy. And my mother, that wonderful secretary, the queen of language, she was calling for help. Let me in. Sit into America in advance. More body. You who we were by that high, watching that movie. I got the sign. But I'm thinking about class. Yes, I'm. Frankly, I don't know what class I am today. I can tell endlessly about my family. I miss her. I miss my family. There's another way to say us. What things inside our house? But class, I think, is utterly not about content. The center of any linguistic use is use. A little brown bird. A brown bird. Really important train. I knew who we were by that pie. Watching that movie, I got the sign. Thoreau said at the end of his book Cape Cod, when he was talking about Provincetown, that I always think of what happens in the writing of poem. The soldier running to catch a train, a really important train, there's a huge consequence if you miss. I think is utterly not about content. I still think of my freedom. Part of it is the movie called Joe. I lost a jacket. I pull you close. I use some fragment of my name. They say a liar always tells a story the same way. Because it was always on sale. One of the lovers grows thirsty. I watch a bottle of movie. I got the sign. He's a good dad. A constant sad and beautiful and fatal American immigrancy where people drown in the real A lot of my thoughts about speech come out of the experience of being entirely outside of my you know, like this, grasping occasionally, using your sense of touch, feel, overall, the texture, the temperature, absences, the absence of sight, familiarity, the presence of danger. Writing a poem is exactly like that. Do you know what I'm going to drop as we go? I'm thinking of a disaster. Samuel Delaney says that all sexual relations are class relations, and I'm saying that all He handed that silence to John Cage in the lower class. And in some ways, I'm thinking about all writers who are essentially always true. They say a liar always tells the beach at Cohasset is covered with 
Irish the English corpses. language grew that way. You let the Vikings and the Saxons and the Celts, you let the Vandals in. And we will come anyway. And of course, we are tourists also. Art always wonders the other, art brute, mentally ill patients, the poems of kids, so-called primitives, females and queers. The other culture, even as you are educated into misunderstanding your own home, is that. And the D becomes something that is so quick, just try it. The ordering master voice of the culture There was a movie called Joe with Peter Boyle in which Lottie plays family in a discounted I'd say put some pussy too, but I'm saying the erotic component in American poetry And poetry is the ordering and the disordering voice that you like. do what John Ashbery described as acting in the writing of a poem as if the reader or the listener the whole facial expression is entirely different. I can say that word. The end of doing. the same language, people look differently. I always think of what Stop. happens in the writing of a poem as similar to writing to catch a train. Stop. Really important like, what are you huge consequences. About? This gorgeous building I only know story. It's so perfect. End of my talk. Late middle, maybe. Do you know her? She's a theory person. She was very sad. I watch people go up and down the stairs. I particularly remember her talk. Actually, it's been a perfect place in midlife to think about things like speech and poetry and see. She rubbed her hands lovingly, and I know in some way I was thinking that that's what I want. What's inside the house or the And I'll go there soon with a little less stuff. I'll be forced once again to say what matters. One's ability to sustain small constant Being the body that is wanted rather than the body that is important. The body that bears another rather than being he who is born. Language is like that. It's an incredible code for a building, which is poor authority. It's way so out perfect. High. And all around my neighborhood, I've lived for a couple of years and watched people wheeling their stuff. I love the way they spoke. They're naked, taping words together, really making a point. He spelled a million ways to be dirty, and there were eight of them, so you turned it again and again. That had been the sound structure of the language. Everyone in America is moving and dropping things. Then I went, then I went to Maine things. this week, a couple of days ago. Passes there are moving out of a frozen pond. I think of that race as class, or moving through time. They had no air. If not, it certainly means drop. Assuming you succeed, what succeeds with you? It even means birth again. Their beautiful country, moment is real. Hundreds of millions of vitalities. Ever the worst certain sad moment in history, the animal realm begin to believe in their own stupidity. Taking words together. To get here. You hear the voice in Disneyland in Farm to Noble. The phone rings. Someone has zing. My sister said neck. A little further than that. But it's used for poetic emphasis. To say what I mean. To say in words that I live here and I drop as I go. I move close. The people who go to Harvard, they don't work at all and hardly work fast, talking to God and breathing. But so what? I'm one of the lucky ones. They say a liar always tells their story the same way. I'll be forced once again to say what matters and surround myself with what I know I am today, which is less of me. Looking out of my window in New York, this gorgeous building, which is poor authority, and it's because of a certain sad moment in history, the lower class He sticks his head in the window and breaks into his native dialect. He makes a joke of touch the man inside, a white-collar worker, and the envelope is slit his way. The absence of sight, familiarity, the presence of danger. Actually, it's been a perfect place in midlife to think about things like speech and poetry and to see. I'll throw some more waves in. Samuel Delaney says that all sexual relations are class relations, and I'm saying that all classes borrow from the working class. But one moves through life continually leaving things behind, and that's one definition of class. The degree of one's fabric is also the degree of one's vitality, one's ability to sustain small, constant amounts of loss. exists for me in that space where we approach a level of suffusion in our perception. I'm interested in how we deal with these junctures of density, 
where perhaps we would still like to perceive more, but are unable to, because the sheer permeation of our perception makes it impossible to listen any further. By having too much to focus on, we withdraw, shut down. The implications of this are fascinating for me. In finding that liminal space between varying levels of concentration has been a model for much of my work. For me, the concept of liminality also extends beyond the notions of sound. I use this in thinking about space in all its forms and in the ways these different spaces interact. Where does the liminality of movement place these different spaces when they collide or coincide? Perhaps it is the very points of friction between different spaces which define the range of liminality and whether we are able to go further in our perception or retreat into a position of safety where our senses no longer yield to a space of total saturation. Today, I'm not particularly interested in a perception of what's going on in the world. Perception in its strategic forms still seems to happen from an outside perspective. The perception of the dominating human versus the domesticated world, that has become a zoo. I think I'm looking for a kind of operating that wouldn't differ from the operating of all reality that is. Hence, rather a stance of operating than of differential thinking that can't but inform perception. It is not really attention to the world either, rather something that is both the most subjective and least subjective, both utterly closed and open.
Für mich ist ein Liminal ein Raum, der entscheidend ist, um Musik heute wahrnehmen zu können. Auch Komposition ist eine Form der Wahrnehmung von Musik, die wie eine Flaschenpost an andere gegeben wird. Sie öffnen die Flasche und finden eine Botschaft, die sie gut verstehen oder nicht so gut verstehen und geben diese Botschaft weiter an Leute, die nicht lesen und nicht spielen, sondern hören. Dieses Hören ist heute nicht selbstverständlich, weil wir häufiger gezwungen sind zu hören, als dass wir hören möchten. Die Schwelle also zwischen dem Hören, das wir möchten und dem Hören, das wir müssen, muss erst nach außen geschoben werden. Das heißt, man muss einen Raum aufbauen können, in dem Hören möglich ist. Dann wird dieses Hören seinerseits die Schwelle überschreiten und die Umwelt, das draußen anders wahrnehmen können, also den Raum, der zunächst das Hören bergend ermöglicht hat, wird nun transparent für eine Umwelt, die durch ihre akustische Anwesenheit zeigt, dass die Musik nicht außerhalb der Welt, sondern in der Welt ist. Diese Verschiebung der Grenzen nach innen und nach außen ist ein Vorgang, den ich als Komponist gerne produzieren, aber nicht steuern möchte. Die Musik verschiebt die Grenzen nicht der Wille des Autors. Was der Autor von Musik tun kann, indem er etwas aufschreibt, ist zu versuchen, eine Situation zu schaffen, in der Musik entstehen kann, auf solche Weise, dass diejenigen, die an dem Prozess beteiligt sind, ihre Situation gegenüber dem Stück und gegenüber der Musik verbessern können, dass sie auch etwas lernen können in einer Weise, dass am Ende der Komponist auch etwas gelernt hat über sein Stück, das in dem Moment der Aufführung ihm schon nicht mehr gehört. Für mich ist es entscheidend, dass die Musik, die ich mache, mir selbst als etwas Eigenständiges begegnen kann im Prozess des Erzeugens der Musik und im Prozess des Hörens. Die Präsenz der Musik ist dabei ein ganz entscheidender Punkt. Ich habe immer wieder festgestellt, dass selbst wenn Musiker durch Wände vom Zuhörer getrennt sind, die lebendige Musik eine Brücke der Kommunikation bildet, die das Liminal offen macht für Energie, die nach außen und nach innen fließen kann. So wie wir die Geräusche der Umwelt hören und solange sie so angenehme Umweltgeräusche sind, wie wir sie jetzt hören, äh, sind sie ein bevorzugtes und willkommenes Zeugnis, dass die Musik in der Welt und nicht auf einem imaginierten Platz ist oder unter einer Glocke, die sie von der Welt 
abtrennt. Aber gleichzeitig ist das Liminal als Ort freier Begegnung eine Kritik an einer Welt, die uns zwingt zu hören, Dinge, die wir nicht hören möchten oder die das Hören sogar durch Krach oder durch die Struktur dessen, was klingt, unmöglich macht. Insofern brauchen wir diesen lebendigen Raum des Liminals, um die Offenheit einer Musik gegenüber spüren und erzeugen zu können, die nicht mehr zurückschaut, sondern die in eine Zukunft schaut, die alle Beteiligten gleichermaßen überraschen und erfreuen kann, dadurch, dass sie etwas zu erleben in der Lage sind, was sie vorher nicht einmal ahnten. The second factor of our sense as human responders is what acousticians call pattern modulation uh, or auditory um, beats in the brain. And as far as I know, it's not exactly clear what uh, the research has not knowledge of what actually is sounding if it's some resonance in the neurons or not. But how this, the specific example of this is, if you take uh, the attuning close to the fifth octave or fourth, and you arrange the beats so that they become very slow, and so they're slowing down, there are many patterns. 
And I, I had brought an article from Scientific American that I, I was going to project uh, of a study that was made by Gnarly uh, where people uh, experience different shapes. Now, I had always done this when I began composing, but I, and I had many strange names for these effects. So when I finally found the, some articles, they were very helpful to me because um, I knew that I was not listening too long, that, that actually there was fundamental research done, that people hear spirals, they hear curves, they have various shapes. And this is very um, simple. In, in the, the book of Rodier, he, he studies the monaural case. And monarly, you if you take the beat at the octave or the fifth or the fourth, you will hear the same shapes and the same patterns, which then tells uh, the acousticians that this is not in the cochlea at all, like the other tones, which are mechanical and are called first-order effects. These are tones that we simply add to the music. Are, are the, from the vibration of our tympanic membrane and the spots on our ear. But the second order effects are how we're able to extract information and actually make these patterns and these shapes. And without doing it consciously, I, in my own work, often begin this way because I'm able to make very, very uh, nice melodies where uh, they surprise me, and I do it through tuning and uh, through this, this matter of taking simple intervals and hearing certain shapes. And in terms of our experiences, it really is very, very different because I, I have uh, made recordings, a complete tape of really fundamentally the same uh, timbres, the same uh, well, music, really, except for a slight shift in uh, what is phase or, or these shapes that I'm talking about from, from actual, whether the, the wave is very steady or whether it just moves a little bit. And the, these variations are all very different, how you experience them. They're very different. And um, this is something uh, I suppose that will be uh, uh, eventually analyzed how this uh, happens. The limnal is everywhere. I don't think there's any region of hearing that escapes or that fails to erect some border between what we can uh, directly perceive and those things that lie beyond our perception. So whether you look in harmony or rhythm or in loudness, density, silence, in any of those regions and more, you're going to find a huge number of possible borderlines. Um, 
so I really don't think it's escapable and for that reason I don't really operate with a concept of it it's not um, not necessary it's really below the um, threshold عم باكل لوحدي لا هو بعد الظهر بس لساته مش هالقد مش هالقد يعني لساته هيك early والتشيرتش بيل عم بدقوه وفي وجيج وهيك اكشن for me liminal is something rather specific it's vague liminal listening feels to me more like a flexible zone of perception expands, contracts depending on the listening situation of course it's even possible to say that liminal is the listening situation certainly for me listening situations are not fixed by a firm line or barrier. For me, liminal means shifting zones of perception. It's, it's not a fixed band of threshold.
At first, silence and noise seem to occupy the poles of a linear continuum, like the line from zero to infinity. Listening reveals that this continuum is really a circle without any poles, but with momentary extremes that we can more accurately call liminal. Can I read it once beforehand? So I no. You want all the mistakes? Yes. All right. Okay, but just wait a second. They want a bit of silence beforehand. Irrespective of quantitative thresholds, qualities, the tendencies towards too much or too little, Perceptual liminality is first and foremost a relation between one and one, uh, one and another. A space in which a boundary is unresolved, perceptual liminality is a particular and typically temporary state of tenuous equilibrium, a balance specifically of uncertainty. In artistic practice, Evocation of perceptual liminality is often synonymous with a heightening of concentration such that attention may be experienced as a form of attachment with that which one attends. Such evocations hinge upon transforming a transitory state into a static or drawn-out condition, a contradiction fully in keeping with the logic of the artwork as explosante fix. <coughs> Productively, this extension allows the relational potential of that which might be lost or passed over as a fleeting confusion to be at least mimetically maintained. Performing persistent instability reveals the identity of each momentarily blurred term as a product of constant maintenance and rehearsal. Problematically, the consequent petrification of relational flux in its production subsumes the liminal, that which premises complex entanglement. In the consolatory transactional space of classical aesthetic experience, the listener remains seated. The work takes on a threshold relation to her, and after the brief oscillatory boundarylessness or indistinction which the framework allows, affected bodies return without moving to their non-vibratory discretion. As such, in its static instrumentalization, even liminality contributes to the normative coordination of bounded space. In my own production of the liminal, my attempt has been to insert a dynamic of homeostasis, not unlike organism lived experience of pursuit of equilibrium, into the work itself. Inverting the scene of the static liminal insists that perceived liminal stasis occur only as the result of listeners' perpetual adjustment to changing conditions. Instead of receiving a fate accompli from the stage, the stage being the institution of art, not any physical structure, the listener herself becomes the very condition of liminality. She must consciously modulate, in every sense, her own relation to another to produce her maintained uh, maintain a desire relation. <coughs> the other, the work, facilitates that modulation, leaving the, the listener and elsewhere both independent of and yet driven by it. Dynamizing the, the liminal is a means towards articulating a reflexive erotics of equilibrium. Dynamized, the, limin, the liminal is insistently transactional but without exchange. A ruse, still, but from which an occasion without preposition, without precedent, and yet with the specificity of space might emerge. You asshole! <laughs> <coughs> Thank <laughs> you.
with the integration of limits, we may discover the limitless. This is the challenge. Exit from the before and after in the music and enter into its here and now. In integrated or parallel music, everything coexists. This and that, and not this or that. It is we the listeners, fully aware that we are an active part of the context, who freely choose what to listen to and when. That's the point. We must develop an awareness that we are a part of what we are listening to. When the sounds is liminal, uh, you have to bring more intention to the more more attention to it to really listen to it. If something just pump in, uh, into your ear, uh, it takes time after just to listen. And the best example is when uh, um, the cloche bells. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, let's say in the mount in the mountain. After they stop, you can hear all the shivering uh, aspect, all the partial overtones, harmonics, and all that. But as long as you have the bang in the ear, you can hear all all of that. And uh, uh, to have this beginning very liminal, uh, necessarily unless uh, you go down, you go out because you don't like it, uh, attracts the attention. I will quote a very good friend of mine, Thibaut Witter, who once in Berlin made an interview uh, about this tema, tema somehow, and he tells, yes, you just have to, if you are in the black, after a while, the subtle details of light start to appear. So I think that for that reason, it's very important. On the other hand, <coughs> and uh, I- if you play very softly here, you can hear all this famous uh, uh, sub-aspect, uh, partial and all that, uh, whatsoever, uh, harmonics or sub-harmonics, some small beating, all this which, uh, which are so tra- charming, and charming is maybe not the right, to, right word, but which produce a real kind of uh, thought. I like it, and uh, obviously other people like it also. But uh, if the uh, fundamental is too loud, uh, you cannot hear that, and it's also the problem for recording this kind of music, because of course uh, the, the, the microphone are not that subtle. I mean, in the range of their way of recording, and the fundamental is always too strong, and so many things are happening, and. 
I would say that common ear would say, but it's nothing. These are also certain towns, but it's not true at all. So throughout these certain towns, so many things, so rich, the vocabulary is so rich of that. And so, uh, I s for me, I mean, for what I, I am looking for with music, this is fundamental, you know, to have that, to really dig into the sounds, into its uh, real essence and uh, the way it is constituted. Because anyway, what makes uh, the special color of an instrument is a special range and uh, shape of all this, uh, um, partial, you know, uh, and uh, what makes the difference between a wonderful instrument and a poor instrument is a largest range of this partial for a good instrument, or much less. And uh, uh, I think that somehow th the essence of music, all these small aspects. So, but maybe you know, I'm like a little bit crazy about uh, about that. <laughs> I speak of subtle augmentation of tones and even of their equally diminished condition. All these come together into one beautiful intangible whole. Intangible because there is no effort at any convergence of meanings. On the contrary, the tones make fine divergences and reflect upon a new state of our human existence where the where the traditional requirement of coherence stands meaningless. In repetition, there is not repeating, and the emergence of changed nuances make nature's own consonant dissonant movement possible. There is so much pain present and at the same time much affirmation, as if in every dying of things upon earth there is new fertility. größte und die kleinste Differenz sind miteinander verbunden. Anfang der 90er Jahre wurde der eine Strang meiner Arbeiten immer reduzierter und leerer, der andere immer komplexer und dichter. Als ich weiterarbeitete, standen sich irgendwann fast stille und weißes Rauschen gegenüber, bildeten aber keinen Gegensatz mehr. Vielleicht am interessantesten jedoch 
sind Differenzen, wenn sie gewissermaßen asymmetrisch sind. Zum Beispiel die Differenz von etwas und seiner Wiederholung. Die Asymmetrie hier ist die zwischen der objektiven Identität und der erfahrenen Differenz. Es gibt im Grunde keine zeitlichen Symmetrien, die nicht als asymmetrisch erlebt werden. Die Verallgemeinerung davon ist dann auch die Differenz zwischen etwas und seiner Wahrnehmung, zwischen einem Klang und dem Hören desselben Klanges. Das sind zentrale Aspekte meiner Arbeit. Aber sicher ist auch, dass, was uns heute als Grenze oder Peripherie erscheint, schon morgen das Zentrum bilden kann. In anderen Kognitionsbereichen ist das ohnehin schon längst der Fall.